0: Two thousand years ago, the Apostle Paul visited a city called Athens, and he was surrounded by people who wanted to know what his teaching was. And so he shared the gospel with them. He tried to appeal to the best of Greek culture and philosophy. But once he told the whole story of the gospel, they didn't and they couldn't believe it. The best of their Greek wisdom told them that what Paul was saying was impossible. So Paul had to move on. There were a few people who accepted his message, but most of the people who were listening to him that day couldn't accept it. Paul went on to a new Greek city, another Greek city, called Corinth. And he had a lot more success there, but he actually faced similar challenges. Problems. Once they believed in Jesus, it seemed like they moved beyond Jesus. Once they had faith in Jesus and experienced the life changing work of the Holy Spirit, it seemed like they had forgotten a few things about the life and death of Jesus. From his letter, we see that the Corinthians in this church thought that they were super spiritual that they were wise beyond all compare. Perhaps they didn't need the help of an apostle like Paul. And so Paul questions them, questions their understanding of their wisdom, because he wants to remind them about the cross of Christ. Whatever they believe about themselves, about their standing, about their wisdom, Paul challenges with the cross we need to talk about the cross this piece of artwork is called the eisenheim altarpiece it was painted by matthias grunwald in the 1500s it's on display in a museum in france now sometimes we forget about the cross we may have uh, heard preaching throughout our lives and come to believe that jesus died on the cross for our sins We may have started going to church and prayed and read our Bibles. But in some sense, we may have forgotten about the cross of Christ. Maybe we think we have moved beyond it. But Christians believe in the crucifixion of Jesus. We believe that an itinerant rabbi, born in very sketchy circumstances, and with three years of ministry under his belt, died the most shameful death imagined in his time. He was rejected by his fellow Jewish religious authorities. He was also thought of as a nuisance against the Roman Empire. So both of those groups teamed up and they shut Jesus up. They nailed him alongside two of society's criminals to die horribly in pain and humiliation, naked on display for the world to see. We believe in that. His followers came along and they worshiped him. They even depicted him on that. Now. Until they came along, no one in the history of human imagination had ever conceived of such a thing as the worship of a man who died like that. Theologian and preacher Fleming Rutledge makes this point. We know about famous deaths in world history. We know about the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., but we don't call it the assassination. We know about Marie Antoinette, but we don't call it the beheading. We know about Cleopatra, but we don't call it the poisoning. But we do know the name of Jesus, and we call it the crucifixion. Now, there were thousands of crucifixions in Roman times, and only this one is remembered. Only this one is thought of as having any significance at all. The idea of resurrection or immortality had traces of resemblance in Greek philosophy and other religions, but the worship of a crucified man makes Christianity unique. And here's the thing. If Christians aren't right about who that is on the cross, then what we're doing is nonsense. That's actually Paul's argument for the first four chapters in his letters to the Corinthians who thought that they were so wise. He says, if you don't understand who's on the cross, and if you forget the cross, and you move beyond the cross, what we're doing is nonsense. He's begging us not to forget the crucifixion. Now, this series that we've just begun is called God's Plan for the Church And here's the basic idea of the whole sermon. If we don't understand the crucifixion, then we won't understand the church. We won't understand who we are if we forget or move beyond the cross. Now, Paul's uh, beginning idea in this letter is that the world had bad expectations that set them up for misunderstanding the crucifixion. He uses this phrase that the Jews demand signs. What he's saying is that the Jews wanted miracles that showed who the Messiah really was. Now, we see this demand in the Gospels for Jesus to perform miracles many times. And although he does perform many miracles, they didn't convince the majority of Jews. In fact, those miracles sometimes made the religious leaders jealous. The Jews thought of the crucifixion of Jesus as the great anti-sign, proof that Jesus was not, in fact, the long-awaited Messiah. So what Paul is saying is their expectations, their prior understanding, set them up for disbelief. They demand signs, and when they look at the crucifixion, they see that as the opposite of a sign. Paul also says that the Gentiles, or the Greeks, desire wisdom. They expect, expect something that they see as wise, something that captivates their minds but doesn't really disturb their uh, cultured perspectives. So when they see a shameful, humiliating death of Jesus, they see it as foolish. A, a lord or a king dying on a cross, this can't be wisdom— Now, what God in fact does, and this is the argument of Paul, is come into the world and gets himself crucified. Paul says that their reactions to the cross actually say less about Jesus and more about them. He says to those who are perishing, the cross is foolish, but to those who are being saved, it is the power and wisdom of God. In other words, the good news is received based on what you know about who was crucified. Paul says, look, none of the rulers of this age understood the crucifixion. If they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. In other words, if you know who's on the cross, you wouldn't have crucified him. But in fact, he is the Lord. He is the the Lord of glory. And once you understand who is crucified, you can understand the crucifixion. This is not some random rabbi. This is not a false messiah. This is not foolish at all. Paul says that him and the rest of the apostles declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. And that wisdom is that the one who is on the cross is the Lord. The very one you see as a stinking, rotting mess on the cross is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is God in the flesh, suffering in his flesh for us. He is king and the cross is his throne. He has not lost his power by any means. He is demonstrating his omnipotent power. Because the Lord is crucified, we know that crucifixion is not for him. It's for us. And if the all-wise creator of the universe willingly accepted the crucifixion, we know the cross is not foolish. We say, that's the wisdom of God. The cross must be the power of God. The cross must be the beauty of God. In fact, the cross must be wiser than any human wisdom on the planet because human wisdom didn't see this coming the cross must be stronger than any man's strength the cross is not a defeat but a victory now when you understand the crucifixion you can understand why paul delivered the gospel the way he did because like we said corinth had a lot in common with athens They grew up with Greek culture and Greek philosophy. They grew up with the sophists who knew rhetoric really well and could convince anyone of something false because they said it so persuasively. But Paul comes in, and when he preaches the gospel, he doesn't use their tricks. He doesn't use their methods. He says, I didn't come to preach with that kind of wisdom or eloquence, so-called. I didn't want to impress you with how many syllables are in my words or rouse you because of flowery language. I would never do that because that would empty the cross of its power. That would mean you're converting to Christianity because you're impressed by me, not transformed by Jesus. Paul says, look, the cross has power in and of itself. The cross can transform you, but it's not a power through manipulation." and the cross's power is not based on my entertainment value of my delivery so i'm going to come in i'm going to share the gospel i'm not going to use any tricks and i'm not going to manipulate you the cross looks weak to some people and so does my preaching style but the cross is powerful and the message of the cross will change you in other words paul is saying I don't want your faith to rest on my great sermon from the other day. I want it to rest on the power of God at work in you. So if you understand the crucifixion, if you understand that it looks like weakness, but it is actually powerful. If it looks like foolishness, but, but actually God's wisdom, then you'll hear Paul's delivery of the gospel and you'll know that it can transform you he doesn't have to use any tricks he doesn't have to manipulate them with the power of his rhetorical persuasion the cross and its message is powerful to change us the preaching of the cross matches the cross if you understand paul's delivery then you can understand paul's church Because Paul says to them look the cross looks weak but it's actually powerful and my preaching looks weak but it's actually powerful but now let's talk about you guys for a second he says think of what you were when you were called not many of you were wise by human standards not many were influential and not many were of noble birth apparently Paul is totally fine with not sparing anybody's feelings in this letter basically he says you were a bunch of nobodies And guess what? God chose you. God chose the weakling. God chose the poor. God chose the lowly. God chose the despised. He chose the unimportant people. And he called them, that's you, to be the church. Once you see all this coming together, once you see the cross and who is on the cross, you can understand the crucifixion. And once you understand the crucifixion, you can understand Paul's delivery of the message of the crucifixion. And once you understand that, you can understand the nature of the church. This is God's plan for the church. He wants it to be a place for nobodies, a place for the ignored, a place for the leftovers. Christianity was initially mocked as a, as a religion for women and slaves, but the nobodies of the world are integral to God's plan for the church. This is what God wants. He wants the church to be cross-shaped. He wants us to never move beyond the cross. So we have to ask ourselves, if this is what the church should look like, then are we a church for the nobodies who are dismissed in our society? Are we a church for the orphan and stranger and widow and the poor? Or are we a church for the important people? Are we a church for the upper crust and well-to-do? Have we sacrificed God's calling for respectable church? God wants the church to be a place for nobodies. And God wants the church to be this way because he wants to shame the world's Arrogance. Paul says God made this choice for a reason. To shame the wise and the strong. To nullify the things that are. God judges the arrogance of the world. The important people. The somebodies. And he does this by creating a community made up of nobodies. This is God's plan for the church. We talked about how in the very first sermon, that God's plan for the world is the church. This is his go-to instrument to love the world. In the second sermon, we establish that God's plan for the church is to be united, to be one, to have unity in Christ. But in this sermon, we need to hear the good news that God's plan for the church is to be shaped by the cross. Everything about our church needs to fall under this standard. The Corinthian Christians are forgetting the shape of the cross. They're moving beyond it. They want freedom in Christ. They want wisdom from Christ, but they want to move around and bypass the cross of Christ. But Paul says, Don't deceive yourselves. If any of you think you're wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools. In other words, If you know the cross and you know that the church should be shaped by the cross, then you know it smashed all the wise expectations. If you know what the crucifixion is, you know that wise by the standards of this age should never be our standard. Our standard for wisdom is the cross. Our standard for power is the cross. Our standard for good preaching is the cross. Our standard for our church church is the cross the church must be shaped by the cross at every level and look if you make the cross the standard for everything and everybody thinks you're a fool for it then go ahead and become a fool already that's the first day you'll be wise paul even says this about himself we are fools for christ we are weak we are dishonored to this very hour we go hungry and thirsty we're in rags we're brutally treated we are homeless we have become the scum of the earth the garbage of the world now i wonder how many of us would be willing to become fools for christ i know this about myself i'm a people pleaser i want everybody to like me but do i want to be an embarrassment Do I want people to think I'm backwards because of Jesus? Would I be willing to be a nobody in the eyes of our neighbors if that meant I was faithful to the cross? Because God chose the nobodies to humble the somebodies. God doesn't want us to forget the cross because that's what he bore for us. The only thing worse than forgetting the cross is domesticating the cross. When you look at the cross, you're seeing something as horrible as the lynching tree or as terrifying as the electric chair. When you look at Jesus on the cross, you're seeing someone slowly bleed and suffocate. You're seeing someone naked and ashamed and humiliated. Now, if that's not the Lord, then what we do is foolish. The fact that we worship him is nonsense. That is a demonstration of weakness and ugliness. But if you know that that's the Lord of glory, if you know who is on the cross, you know it's wise and powerful and beautiful. It's not just any other man forgotten to the records of history. That is the turning point of history. It is a message bursting out across time and space to change the lives of pagans in Corinth and citizens of Austin. From the first century to the 21st century, that event changes everything. That's God's plan for the church to be shaped by the cross. The cross is the standard for wisdom. The cross is the standard for power. The cross is the standard for beauty. Our church must be shaped by the cross. And that would challenge us, because maybe we're not willing to be a place for nobodies. Maybe we want our preaching to be impressive but not powerful to change lives. Maybe we want to move beyond or forget the cross. But Paul won't let us. Paul reminds the Corinthians, this is why you exist. Jesus, our Lord, was crucified for you. You received the forgiveness of sins because of his death and blood shed on the cross. The way I preach is defined by the cross, Paul says. And you were chosen. You despised nobodies. You were chosen by God because of the cross. God was pleased to choose you, to make a community marked by the cross. Now, the Jews demand signs and the Greeks desire wisdom. But what God, in fact, did was come into the world, get crucified for us to make a community of nobodies. And God sees that as a demonstration of his wisdom and power and beauty.